0: Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek, And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. As always, you can find us on our website if you want more details about who we are at WorkerBeing.com, and we have a private community if you'd like to join. We'll set a link in the show notes to WorkerBeing.com community. So Katina, you have an article for us today. What are we going to be talking about?
1: Yes. Yeah, so today, we're going to be talking about the impact of having a bad commute to work. So... We've talked a lot about remote work and the benefits of remote work. And we know a lot of people are remote working since the pandemic started. But a lot of companies are trying to move back to being in person. Some already have. And I was seeing a lot of conversations online about people sort of dreading going back to their commute. And so I thought that this might be an interesting article to discuss at this time because uh, people may be getting ready to reintroduce commutes or they've already just recently reintroduced commutes into their life. And this article kind of helps you to figure out how you can either reduce the hassle that's in your commute
0: or reduce at least the impact that your commute has on your work. I think this is such an interesting topic because... I mean, it's one we haven't covered before, right? But like commutes obviously have a major impact on your day. And so I'm really curious to dig in and see what they found and and like, what are some good takeaways?
1: Yeah, it's actually a really, really like complex article. So I'm not even going to be able to go through all the findings, but the findings that I will be able to go through are, I think, super helpful. So it will be, it will be good. But if anyone's interested, you can go find the actual article
0: and learn even more for yourself. Mm, Interesting. Okay. Yes. Cool. Well, uh, before we dive into that commutes and all that fun stuff, how are you doing? How was your weekend? I am doing good. I spent the weekend in New
1: York um, with my um, collaborator from Boston College, Judy Clare, and she and I are doing a project. Well, we're working on a project for a grant um, and then we started talking about a new project that we're gonna do on museums. And so, in like our downtime, we also um, went and saw a couple museums to take a look and see how they have been responding to calls for them to become more inclusive in their exhibits, but also how they're like reckoning with the past and like history and new ways of presenting old stuff to take into account, some of the bad <laughs> stuff that was going on yeah. um, when other things were happening that they maybe haven't been doing before. So um, we were curious at different museums, like physical responses to these calls for them to become more inclusive. So it was really fun. We went to the MoMA and the Met and the Guggenheim and they each had very different approaches to DEI. So curious to see how the project will unfold, but I think it. It's off to some, to a good, on a good foot. And the project we were finishing was the inclusive leadership project that I've been working on. So that one's almost done, which is very exciting.
0: That's really exciting. Almost done for that one. I love the museum one. It's a very, uh, it's a complex topic, right? Like how do we, like we're not going to just throw out art from people that, (laughs) you know, were problematic. But how do you manage that um, in a realistic, respectful, and. I don't know. That's so interesting. Well, I'll be curious to hear more yes. about that as you continue to evolve that project.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're calling it right now organizational remembering and forgetting because mm. it's kind of like you have to, you have to acknowledge your past and let it inform your present and future. But you also need to like let go of some things in the past. But how do you do that in a way that satisfies people that you've acknowledged it enough to be able to move on? You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Um so anyway, it will be fun. We'll see how it goes. And we um, we ate some good food. We got stuck in a snow squall, um, which was kind of horrible. Um, we literally went to walk back from our hotel. Um, like we were like two miles away and we decided to walk instead of um, taking an Uber. <laughs> and literally five or ten minutes into our walk from the time that we were about two minutes away from our hotel – it was this like insane snow squall with like crazy winds and like snow blowing in our faces. And it literally only lasted the period of time that we were walking. <laughs> I was like, that was the literal worst timed walk that anyone has ever taken. Um, so, but it was kind of funny. And we also, it was supposed to be warmer in New York this week than it was. So both of us packed kind of like lighter than we should have. It was freezing. Mm. So I didn't have my winter coat. I had to like buy a scarf on Saturday because I was like, I don't even know what I'm gonna do. So <laughs> it was very cold. We got a lot of steps in. Got stuck in a squall, um, but we had fun and the so, projects are cool.
0: This is gonna be my California self and like, even though I lived in Pennsylvania for a while, I know and I've learned more about snow. Like I didn't know what a flurry was until I lived in Pennsylvania. But yes. what is a squall? <laughs> a
1: squall is like a very fast like all of a sudden it's just like snowing really hard and the wind's blowing really hard and there's like visibility gets really bad and Mm. it usually only lasts for like a period of time but it like really feels like you're like stuck in some sort of like maelstrom. Like the wind was blowing so hard. Like our hair was like all blown back. It was like hard to almost like walk forward. The wind was so cold. There was like all this snow like stuck in our hair and on our eyelashes and we were just like pushing through to try to get back to our hotel and I was like this is the dumbest walk in the world like why are we doing this that sounds awful Um, yeah it was kind of awful and then literally we were like two minutes away from our hotel and it stopped and we were like oh it truly only squalled while we were walking and then
0: that was it so yes that's what a squall is
1: don't feel bad I feel like it is kind of a weird word
0: yeah well I I'm glad to not have been in one. I don't think. Maybe I have been in one, but I didn't know it was called a squall. But yes, um, that sounds terrible. Yes,
1: but it was still. It was. It was. I was like, should we just get a cab? Judy was like, no, it'll be a good story. I was like, okay.
0: You're like, I don't want this story. I know.
1: I was like, I feel like I could do without this story, but, uh, but here I am telling it. So I guess she was right. Yeah. There she you was, go. She was correct. There you um, go. But yeah, so that was my weekend. Just got back last night at like 11 o'clock at night. Um, so trying to kind of get in the groove today. But that's
0: it. What about you? What do you have going on? Yeah, this weekend was good. Um, it was, let's see. I don't remember what I did at the beginning of the weekend because yesterday was a friend's wedding. So that kind of took over Yay. my brain. I don't know what happened before that, but it was really fun. It was my friend Rachel's wedding. Um, Allie, our producer, was also there. Hi, Allie. Uh- <laughs> Hi. So we had a really good time. Um, it was really great to see her so happy. Um it's actually like a COVID relationship turned into a marriage. So that's kind of fun. Whoa. I know. If you survive COVID, right? Um, yeah, true. So, I mean, and they just, they started dating like December 2019. So it was literally like a couple of months of knowing each other to crash and to COVID. Yes. And, and somehow get through it. And they're super, they seem super happy. Like they're really Yay. cute together. Um, so that was really fun. It was really nice to see that be there at the wedding. Um, I think it. Actually it's my first wedding since COVID hit. Yeah. Is it? It is. Mm. Uh-huh. It was small ish. It was like, I don't know, thirty ish people. So pretty small. Um, but yeah, it was wonderful. It was my one of my good friends from high school and you know, she's had a lot of drama and stuff with her family in the past, and so it's just nice to see her so happy. So it was Yay. it was lovely. It was lovely. That's very exciting. Yeah.
1: That is so nice. I love it. Yep. I love it. I'm glad that you were able to go and make that happen. It's very exciting.
0: Yeah. It was great. And then now this week we're here. We're ready to talk about commutes, even though I never commute to work and I have not in like a million years. Um, But you do. Sometimes you do. Yes.
1: Sometimes I do. I used to like multiple times a week commute. Um, So it's kind of interesting to think about like uh, you know, now I go into the office once a week to teach and I'm there for like the day when I go in. But prior to the pandemic, I was going to the office two or three days a week and I was usually taking the train and walking. So um, I can talk a little bit about sort of how my commute fares. Um, <laughs> and you haven't commuted for so long. I feel like this is just like, what's a commute? <laughs> like the la- The last time you commuted must have been like forever ago.
0: Yeah, the last time I had to commute somewhere was, uh, let's see, I think the job that I left in April of 2014. So yeah, mm. since 2014. Been a long I time. A that is a long time. That is really weird. <laughs> yeah, that's like a really long time. Yeah. I mean, I'm coming up on 10 years soon of non-commuting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If I ever had to there. commute, I feel like my world would be turned upside down. (laughs) I was like, what is this? I have to get in a car or go somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I really think that, you know, it, it has its pros and cons for sure. uh, And we know remote work is really good for you. So we've talked about that before. But um, if you are in a situation where you go into the office, there are some things about a commute that can be positive. As I was doing the research for this um it does provide a little space and like boundary forced mm. boundary between your work and your home life um there are also things that you can do during your commute that can help to like improve your well-being because when people are commuting they don't generally try to work i mean i do see people on the train trying to work and things like that but um generally people do things like read or catch up on like phone calls with family or friends or um consume some kind of like media that they enjoy if they're on a train um, or listen to music or open the windows or look at nature. So there's like stuff that you can actually do during your commute that can be helpful. Um, But that only happens if your commute is not what this article is calling aversive. Um, So this has a very long title, but it's kind of funny. The (laughs) title is Stop and go. Where's my flow? Um,
0: <laughs> Love it. Uh, so and many it keeps,
1: But it keeps going. How and when daily aversive morning commutes are negatively related to employees' motivational states and behavior at work. Okay. <laughs> so it was just published in the Journal of Applied Psychology. It's by Gerbit, Rivkin, and Unger. Um, and so hot off the presses. And mm-hmm. I just thought it was a cool topic, like we were just saying. So... Um, let me just kind of dig into uh, what they're talking about here. So they're basically interested in the extent to which people's commutes are aversive. So aversive commutes are commutes. And the reason why it's called stop and go is because um, aversive commutes are ones that are um, sort of disruptive to uh, what you would consider a smooth transition from one place to another. So there are things about it that sort of um, create some either uh, bad feelings, frustration, bad attitudes about uh, what's happening around you. So one thing to note is that a commute can be aversive, whether it's by car, train, bus, bike, walking... Um, so it's not like one type of commute is more aversive than another. It's really the conditions of the commute. So for example, um, if you're driving to work and your drive is completely free from traffic, it's very easy to get back and forth from where you're going to your workplace. There's a lot of parking. That's very easy. You can park close to your office. Like all of that kind of stuff is like, okay, that's driving, um, But it's not a very aversive commute. On the flip side, if your commute's really long, you hit a lot of traffic, it's very unpredictable whether or not you'll get stuck in traffic, it's hard to find parking, um, you know, people are driving dangerously, um, those are all things that can add to the aversiveness of a car commute. Similarly, for like a train or a bus, traffic or changes in schedules that make your commute unpredictable um, can be really stressful. Um, so if your trains are constantly delayed or off schedule or canceled, that can be a sign of an of commute from a train or a bus perspective. Um, if the train's like super crowded. So I know on the Metro, a lot of times in D.C. pre-COVID, when I would get on the train, it would be extremely crowded. So super crowded conditions. Um, even if you're biking or walking, <clears throat> although that's better for the environment, biking and walking can also be dangerous so if you have to walk on streets or bike on streets where you feel concerned about getting hit by a car or um you're not that good at riding a bike uh let's (laughs) say you're just a starter beginner like you could um you could find that aversive so the basic idea is that the more sort of crowded unpredictable dangerous Cleanliness is another thing. Like if it's like really gross where you're like train stations, really disgusting and dirty and you're like seeing rats everywhere that could Uh. lead to aversiveness. So there's like, um, you know, if it's, if it's dangerous, dirty, unpredictable, frustrating, those are signs of an aversive commute and it can really come from, it can really stem from any form of transportation.
0: So, As you are describing what an aversive commute is, I want to know who doesn't have one. (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) I mean, probably when you are in like a smaller town or something like that. But like, I am just thinking about commutes in LA. I feel like every single one has to be aversive. Like, I can't imagine with the traffic and things like that that people are dealing with all the time. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't understand who is lucky enough to not have one of these bad commutes. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think. Um, and and actually, one of the um suggestions in this article that i'll just hint at now is that they actually have like public policy suggestions for building better like infrastructure from a public transportation perspective um because that's like an issue in la is that there isn't enough public trans that like it can get rid of some of that traffic um so i feel like you know there's traffic in every major city but it's worse in places where there's fewer people that can take public transportation. So that was like one of the basic pushes that they said was like infrastructure and having like good well-organized infrastructure for getting people from point A to point B is super helpful um, for cutting down on averse of commutes. So like <clears throat> when I was in Philly, if I had to go into the city for for work related stuff, the trains were way less predictable, um, especially where I was out in the suburbs getting into Philly, like trains would get canceled a lot or be delayed a lot. And that was really stressful. So, you know, you're trying to get somewhere and all of a sudden you find out your train's canceled and the next one's not going to be there for an hour. So a lot of the time you'd have to try to plan to get like go into the city two trains ahead in case one would get canceled, you know. So I feel like those sorts of things were stressful, but my commute in into the office to Villanova which was near my house was you know 10 minutes never traffic easy parking outside my office so generally that wasn't stressful so even though it would seem like driving versus train should be more stressful it actually wasn't for me um Mm -hmm. and uh and now uh in DC when I was taking the metro I walk like a little more than a mile and then get the train I will say that um You know, the walk can be nice, although it is time consuming to get back and forth. um, And there's no parking at the train. So you have Mm. to walk. So you have to plan enough time to walk, which means that if you're running a little late, sometimes your walk can be like a little stressful because you want to get there. But the trains generally run on time. They run very frequently. So even if you miss your train, you're only like 10 minutes behind where you need to be. Um, So I feel like from that perspective, the train's pretty easy. I'm not on the train for very long. The train lets me off. Only a couple blocks from my office, so I feel like all of that's very easy. But um, the trains get pretty like um, isolated, like desolate. No, and um, not populated. <laughs> Empty. Um, yes. Uh, uh, later at night here in Alexandria, and so there have been times where I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. getting off the train and walking back because it's just me or just me and a few other people. So that does add stress to the commute. So I think like as I was reading through this, I was thinking, wow, there actually are all these elements that I'm taking into account when I'm deciding how I'm getting someplace that relate to how aversive it is that I hadn't really been thinking about in that way.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it sounds like there many of your commutes have some sort of stressor associated with them that you've had like of the commutes you've just described right like the villanova drive is the easiest one but everything else has some factor that could make it uncomfortable or challenging or difficult so again i ask who is having these non-aversive commutes for the most part um but seriously i think it's a really interesting topic because i know like i like that there's public policy components to what they say because i think that is really important like you said in la like I mean, there's a culture of not taking public transit, which I think is a problem. So how do you change behavior? But then there are parts of the city that are completely without it or without mm-hmm. um trains. There's buses everywhere, but no one wants to take a bus because of cultural right. reasons within the Right, right. Within the city. So I think that there's a lot of um yeah, a lot of challenges with that. People are more willing to take the train than the bus, but the trains are limited. So Right. <laughs> there's all sorts of weird stuff. But if there's public policy that can change or ways that we can Tweak people's behaviors, um, get Beverly Hills to stop crying about the idea of a train coming through them, <laughs> uh, then I think we could be in a better place, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. So, so basically what this article is looking at is okay, your commute could be, you know, good or bad. They're thinking about it as low or high aversiveness, right? So how bad is it? Um, and what they're basically arguing is that. When your commute is bad, it drains your resources and it makes you feel depleted. And when you come into work feeling depleted, that makes it less likely that you're going to be able to get into flow. And flow we've talked about before, I know, on the blog and um, in the podcast. But flow is basically this state where you're really absorbed in and interested in your work. Um, And so flow is really important, actually, for being able to um, perform well on the job um, because you really feel like your activities and your thoughts are running really fluidly and smoothly. And um, it just helps you to sort of like you can think of it like wheel grease, like when you're not in flow, you're kind of like grinding gears. When you're in flow, everything's just moving um, the way it's supposed to be smoothly and you're really absorbed in what you're doing. Um, and so the idea is, and I'll I'll talk a little bit more about why that's important, but they're basically saying that if your commute's bad, you're going to enter into your workday being more depleted of energy um, cognitively. That will keep you from being able to get into flow. And then that will decrease your work engagement and decrease your performance, um, as well as your willingness to help out um, in the workplace. So flow has these consequences for you that you don't want to mess with, which is like, how much am I engaged in my work and how well am I doing?
0: And also there's a piece here that sounds like, I'm not sure if they covered it or not, but you know, if you're using your resources, that's obviously going to make you feel tired too. Right. So we're not just dealing with like, I'm not going to do my job as well because I can't focus and flow through my day, my work very easily, but I'm also probably tired. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, um,
1: and they, and they didn't measure that, but I'm positive that that's part of it is that, um, they talk about the resources that it takes. Like you're on your morning commute, you're frustrated. And I'm sure many of you have been through this before where you're running into all these frustrations, you're in traffic, you're like yelling at people, right? Like things are happening. And by the (laughs) time you get to work, you feel like, oh my God, like I've already accomplished something before I even started my work day. I feel like I need a break after just getting here. Right. Um so you're feeling depleted and um and now you're sitting down to start doing work and you've already used up this energy on trying to just get yourself through this bad experience. Um so basically they're hypothesizing that the aversive morning commute makes you more depleted which makes it less likely that you'll be able to get into flow because you won't have like that energy to really like engage with your work or be enthusiastic about your work in a way that really gets the wheels turning. And that will decrease your engagement and your performance. Um, And so because there's a little bit more complication to these findings, I'm just going to throw out there now that they did this across two studies and they were experienced sampling studies, which as we talked about before on the podcast are studies where on a daily basis, each person gets multiple surveys and they're actually able to look at, okay, morning one, did you have an aversive commute? Afternoon one, Were you in flow? End of day one, were you engaged? How did you perform? Right. Um, And so they're actually able to look at it on a day to day basis and say, okay, for the same person, when their commute is worse, are they more depleted, less likely to be in flow, less engaged, um, lower performing? And when they're more in, in, when their commute is less aversive, are those things switched around, right? So it's a really powerful way of looking at relationships because you can actually see how controlling for all the other stuff because it's the same person in the same job, et cetera. The only thing that's really varying across the course of that time is the commute aversiveness. It helps you to really like parcel out the pure relationships between the thing people are interested in and the other like cascading effects that happen over the course of the day.
0: Yeah. So it like really just helps you hone in on what is causing this, the person's change in behavior, et cetera.
1: Yes. So bringing together findings across two studies, they found support for that. So your commute's bad, you're more depleted, you're less likely to get in flow, and that actually has implications for your work engagement and your performance. So we really want to do something about the fact that people might have bad commutes. So Obviously, one way of coping with that or dealing with that is to actually take steps as an employer to decrease the crappiness of people's commute, right? So they suggest (laughs) that maybe you can allow employees flexibility in when they come in and when they leave so that they don't have to be in rush hour traffic, for example. Um, Or you can allow people to have like, um, you know... blackout period of time when they're on their commute because something else that can be frustrating is okay you know you can come into the office by nine but I still need you on this call at eight so while you're driving I expect you to be like on a call or whatever to actually say like during the commute time we don't expect people to be actively working or answering emails etc like letting people use that time to at least if they're um you know going to be trans like you know getting themselves back and forth that they can really focus on what they need to focus on and not have divided attention which can also be depleting um and then they also talked about the public policy of decreasing the aversiveness of commutes by like decreasing actual like traffic within the city um, or increasing the availability of public transportation so they talk a little bit about this direct effect of like one thing you could do is just try your best to make sure that employees commutes are not terrible um, but there are a couple other things that they also tested in the model that can help too. But that that's one just kind of shout out of from the basic model they tested, what they suggest that employers might do.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that flexibility is really important. Um, I think maybe don't make people be on calls, especially when they're driving. Like yes. we don't want to, I mean, the increase in accidents can happen from things like that and those types of expectations. So there's a lot of reasons not to do that. Um, I think like you said, the flexibility um, around, well, I mean, I don't know if you said this hybrid piece, like, right, you can having people come in sometimes, not all the time, maybe that will help, right? You're not always having, like, you can have your super high flow days when you're sitting at your house instead of going anywhere. Um, There's also, I think, something that you didn't mention is, like, actually helping support people to move closer to an office, Right. Um yeah. that's not always possible, of course, right? Like usually there's two people working in um like a couple, right? So you're gonna if you're like in a dual income household, the other person might be commuting in a different direction. Um but there might be situations where people are not living somewhere because of affordability. Um, they're not living somewhere because you know, of just the cost of moving, like there's a lot of reasons why people don't live near their work. Uh, But if employers like paid fairly and enough, that would make a big difference. Like I'm really, I hate using LA as an example constantly, but here I am. Um, Because (laughs) I just think about like the people that work in... I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna pick on Beverly Hills because they've been jerks about public transportation for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think they've been overruled and we're we are there is a metro that's being built through Beverly Hills finally. But they were jerks about it forever. But the people that like work at their restaurants, the people that work at I mean, there's like fast food in Beverly Hills, there's gyms, there's all sorts of things like that. Those people that work there don't live in Beverly Hills, and now you're making them commute like really far and you're not paying them that much. Um, So on top of like everything else, like that stressor of the commute can really have a big impact. Right. And could you imagine how much better people would be in terms of their work, their lives? I'm even thinking, Hey, Beverly Hills, if you don't care about your food, about plastic surgery, (laughs) like what about the techs that are working there? Like they're not living in Beverly Hills. Like that's very unlikely. Um, and even the neighborhoods surrounding Beverly Hills are very expensive. So if people are commuting really far for these jobs and we're not allowing metros to be built to come- for people to have an easier commute or giving them enough money to be able to even live in a neighboring community, um, it's just ridiculous. Like That's yeah. just not fair. And I think organizations can really help by making sure they're pay- paying people a wage that allows them to live near the place of work. Yeah,
1: totally. I think that's a great call out. That's not something that they mentioned in the article, but it makes total sense. um, And they should have probably mentioned it. Um, So I'm glad that you did, because I think that that is a very meaningful way that organizations can help is to say, well, how can we ensure that people are financially secure enough that they're not commuting from... You know two hours away because they can't possibly afford to live near their place of work so and or like subsidizing cost of transportation which could be another um thing that makes your commute aversive because it could be stressful if it's financially taxing so mm-hmm. um so that those are all good call outs um they also explored specifically in the article so those were like sort of tips about um just generally okay we know that having a bad morning commute can lead to these bad downstream implications for your workday so we could try to make the commute conditions better or um, you know change around whether or not and when people need to commute but they also talked about a couple of other things that um, could impact Um, so it was especially true that the aversive morning commute messed with people's flow when they had a day where they experienced what they're calling high impulse control demands which are yeah. Which are basically days where you really encounter a lot of frustrations and you need to like try to hold it together. It's almost like surface acting would be mm-hmm. um, where you're like already in a depleted state and now you're having to handle these other demands and irritations that are bothering you. And what you'd really like to do is just tell the person how you actually feel like there's this annoying person and I really just want to tell them off, but I have to be nice to them. Or um, there's this really frustrating process at work that I have to deal with and it's not working the way I want it to. And I have to like hold together my frustration. I can't get angry. So um, this idea of Having encountered frustrating people, processes, et cetera, and having to like really monitor your behaviors so that you like remain polite or don't lose your temper or whatever um, are days where you have high impulse control demands. On those days, it's especially likely that your commute will sort of have a extra impact on your flow, like the two things sort of combine to be like, okay, now this day really sucks. Like my getting here was bad and now I have all these frustrations and now there's no way that I'm gonna be able to get into like a good space in my work. So they did find support for that idea. And one thing that they talked about was how managers can try to talk with their employees about daily hassles that they're encountering and find ways to sort of eliminate those hassles to the extent that they can to make it less likely that if employees do have a bad commute, then they don't come in and they're immediately facing a million like otherwise fixable frustrations that are also in their way.
0: I feel like that's a good tip for every job in general, right? Yes. Whether or not you have a bad or good commute, like those little hassles are going to disrupt you regardless, right? Um, so we should be doing that anyways to make sure that people have um, – A day at work where they can actually like feel okay (laughs) being there Mm -hmm. not be frustrated with like stupid little things I can think of so many times in my career where I've had days where it's just like I can't get anything done because everything is exploding for no reason nothing important is exploding but a bunch of stupid little things are and now I have to deal with that or this person is like harassing me about something that I don't need to be doing right now like it's not my priority it's their priority like all those little things add up so fast and can just completely derail your day for no good reason and then I can't even imagine like you're saying if you come in already tired from a terrible commute you've been driving for two hours and there were like as an accident on the road and you know you were in stop and go traffic for a while and whatever all those things add up and then I mean, how can you be expected to do anything productive?
1: Yes. Yeah. So that's basically what they were saying is that um, if you can't decrease the frustration that someone has faced before they get to work, then at least you can try to decrease the frustration they face at work. And one of the things that they said was, um, you know, basically asking people like after they're when they get into work, like, how was the commute in? And if they say like, you know what? And like encourage them to be honest and being like, you know, it was really bad, saying something like, well, what can I do to help you like have a smoother day from here on out to see if there's anything that can be done right away to sort of eliminate some frustration or whatever. So they kind of also suggested being like recognizing that commutes can be frustrating and kind of asking
0: how things went and then seeing if you might need to give someone a little extra help. I also wonder if it couldn't be like a practice too, like when people come in, they can take a 15 minute break right away. Right. Right. Go sit in like a break room or whatever, have a cup of coffee, like just to yourself calmly before you jump in could also just be a pretty easy tactic to help with some of that.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that that makes perfect sense. Um, and so, okay, there's one more thing that can help. Okay. So (laughs) if you, um, want to make someone's commute, bad commute experience even less likely to impact their flow Not only does removing frustrations help, but also making the person feel like they are satisfied with being competent at doing their job helps replenish some of those resources. So not only does getting frustrations out of people's way of like, I just can't seem to get anything done or like this day is annoying, but actually making sure that they feel like they are making progress can help like, okay, I might have had a bad commute, but at least I feel like I'm... not encountering frustrations here and I'm getting the sense that people think that I'm starting off on a good foot, like I'm doing well. So Mm. if you can help employees to feel like they're doing well at their job by providing them feedback, making sure that they have like the skills and tools that they need to do their job that day, et cetera, that can also help to rebuild some of the resources that people have lost in their commute and help them to like actually end up getting in flow even if they didn't start off their day on a good foot.
0: That's interesting. So it could even be something as simple as like, we're in a meeting, the first meeting of the day when everyone came in, and at the end of the meeting, be like, that was a great and productive meeting. We got a lot done. Yes. Pat on the back, everyone feels good, can kind of help them out a bit.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So that is a great example. And I think would be a great practice to kind of help people right from the start of the day feel like, okay, well, if I lost some resources, I'm replenishing them here. Um so They basically um, also interestingly looked at whether providing people autonomy or providing people relational support um, was helpful. And autonomy worked in one of the studies, but relational support didn't work in either. Um, So it really is something about I feel stunted in my ability to do what I want to do when my commute is bad. Like it's almost like I feel like, I can't get to a goal. My goal is to get to work and it's getting messed up. (laughs) So like (laughs) the next goal that I want to try to achieve, I really need to feel like it's free from hassles to get there. And I need some feedback that I'm doing well. It matters a little less that I'm like connected to other people or that I have autonomy in doing it at that point, because really what I want is like a quick hit of OK, I was frustrated in achieving my goal of getting here the way I wanted to help me feel like my whole day is not just going to be like me not getting to my goals. So there really is something about the commute that's sort of goal oriented or goal driven, it seems like, so that the way to fix it is to give people a quick win like, hey, you, you're doing great today, etc. Here's a little feedback. And also like, let me take something out of your way so that you don't feel like your whole day is just going to be frustrated goal achievement.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. Like I can just imagine days, like even non-work days where I'm like, I'm going to be productive today. I'm going to do laundry. I'm going to clean up this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know, tackle this other tour. And then like you get half of it done and you're just so frustrated because you weren't as productive as you wanted to be. Like that happens every day. And so if you're already just starting off like, oh, I didn't get here as early as I wanted to, or, oh, I didn't, um, you know, get to stop at that coffee shop that I'd plan to stop at or, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm here and I'm, I'm tired and I can't focus on this spreadsheet right now. Like all of those things are just frustrating because people like to be productive, right? And you have things that you want to accomplish. So it makes a lot of sense that, um, that it's really closely related to that. It's, we want to make sure that people are, that employees are feeling like, all right, even if I had a bad commute and I didn't, like you said, didn't meet that goal, here I am and I'm actually able to accomplish something and I can feel productive at the end of the day that it wasn't a waste of time, that I didn't just show up here and just waste a day for no reason.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, that, I think that all of that is to say, because you're right, people do want to perform well. So if you know that your employees are facing these challenges on the way into work and you're a manager just asking people how their commute in was um if you realize that the same person saying their commute was bad over and over again um trying to maybe figure out a way that they can avoid some of the bad things on their commute could be helpful but also just thinking about okay how can i help this employee to feel productive again since they've been frustrated is one way if you're an employee that has a bad commute Asking for some more flexibility or flagging up some of the things that are negative about your commute to your manager could help to like troubleshoot around some of those things, but also just being conscious about thinking through what are the features of my commute and have I really thought about whether or not I'm using the mode that is going to cause me the least hassle, right? So being more conscious about making those choices. And then from a public policy perspective, obviously if you're living in a place where there aren't good options or multiple options for getting around that are feasible or most of the options are very full of hassles thinking about ways that you can advocate within your community for less stressful stuff because it is actually making an impact on people's work and lives
0: love it well thank you so much for sharing this article i thought it was really good um i really think that there's a lot of people things people can do and can learn from it really quickly um especially on a topic that i don't think we talk about enough so i really appreciate this article thank you for sharing it of course, thanks for listening and to all of our listeners. Um, if you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, feel free to email us at contact com. You can find us on our website workerbeing.com on social media at workerbeing and finally you can join our community as I mentioned at the top of the podcast at workerbeing.community or workerbeing.com slash community. <laughs> thanks for listening. The Worker Being podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson.